Welcome to the next instalment of Cyflix Radio on Tune FM at UNE. Uh, Cyflix is our collaboration between UNE Life, Tune FM, and the Belgrave Cinema, where we show films with science themes once a month, with talks and a Q&A from a UNE researcher. So next Thursday, 28th of April, we have the Spielberg Classic, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and speaking with the film is UNE Physics academic Dr. Steve Bosey. Thanks for joining me. Hello. <laughs> okay, so normally with these interviews, I start with um, a few questions about you and your research. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you do here at UNE. Okay. So um, the my main area of research at the moment at UNE is uh, medical physics. So what I have at the moment is a uh, I've got a PhD student. Well, two PhD students working on medical physics. One of them is working on algorithms to improve CT scans, which if you read about it in the paper, they call them CAT scans, but nobody in medicine calls them CAT scans. They're called CT scans. That's a 3D X-ray. Why? The, what's the A? Axial. The oh, okay. But computed no axial tomography, but okay. they, they, they changed the name a long time ago. <laughs> um, so... Uh, and uh, so that's one PhD student. He's just about to submit. I've got another PhD student who's, who is uh, working on uh, computer simulations to develop new ways to produce the, the world's most important medical uh, radioactive nuclide, which is uh, Technetium 99M. Okay. Te- Technetium 99M is, 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 uh, is used in about between 80 and 90% of all uh, radioactive medical procedures. Wow. And, but the problem is that it's only produced in large quantities at a very small number of nuclear reactors around the world. And that means that uh, if, as happened 10 years ago, um, two of them have to shut down for maintenance, um, when that happened, that, that was in Canada, uh, that reduced the world's supply by 60%. Oh so it's goodness. a very... Um, you know, it's right on the edge. The supply of this particular radionuclide is, is on the edge. So uh, what my student is doing is trying to come up with alternative ways of doing it where you don't need a nuclear reactor. Oh, wow. I, I have a, a, a colleague at Sydney University, a fellow called Joe Kashan, who's, who's made a machine that makes neutrons, and, but without, without a nuclear reactor. Uh, and the nice thing about it is it, it, the, the actual device itself will sit on the bench top I'm thinking like a microwave size. That kind of size. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And uh, But the nice thing about it is when you turn it off, the neutrons stop. Okay. It's not like a, with, a, with a fission reactor, a nuclear fission reactor, you can't just, oh, I'm going to turn it off. Yeah, right. You know, we'll save, save some energy power, this week. You know, yeah. No, you can't do that. And, and the thing is that, of course, there's always that theoretical possibility that they can melt down. Oh, and sure. it's not yeah. always just a theoretical possibility. <laughs> Whereas this device here, you turn it off and it just so switches off. it sounds off. a lot safer. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what that my other PhD student is working on. I'm also, I've got a, I'm co-supervising another PhD. PhD student working on molecular simulations. That's where you create a bunch of molecules in a computer and you see what they do. Oh, wow. Instead of having to look at them down a microscope or... Well, um, well, I mean, uh, you, you, you can't... If, if you're looking at chemical reactions, you can't really see the molecules. You can't, yeah, that's true. I mean, it is possible with, with very powerful uh, electron microscopes to actually see individual atoms, but you can't really see them... Moving, you know what I mean. I mean. You can't you can't look at a large number of them and, and see how they're reacting. So what you have to do is, um, you do a computer simulation. You try to make it as realistic as possible, so you you have some idea what to expect, and then you use other experimental techniques that are macroscopic scale. You know, you use neutron neutron scattering off 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 a reacting uh, compound or whatever to see. To get some clues as to how they're arranged, and then you can compare the simulation with sort the experiments. Of, um, ground truth or test some of yeah, the things yeah. that you're modeling. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but wow. you use, use use both. You've got to yep. use the, the 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 computer simulation to so you know what you you know what to look for. Then you go and do the experiment, look for it, and if if you see what you expected, you go, all right, I've nailed that. And if it if the experiments turn out differently from your computer simulation, you know, oh, we've left something out. That's right. Let's try again. Yeah. So that's another <laughs> thing. Uh, I did also work for. Maybe a, a little over ten years on um, uh, renewable energy and renewable uh, technology. Uh, 
Um, I also worked for a little while on biological optics. So one of the projects that I did a long time ago, not not here, uh, this this was before I came here, was uh, now there are certain butterflies. I'm sure you've seen pictures of them. There are certain butterflies that have iridescent colours. Yes. You know, like the morpho butterflies, mm-hmm. the really shiny blue wings. Yeah. Right. Now that's not pigment. Okay, that the chemists can't claim responsibility for that. That's physics. <laughs> what what you have is you have, um, you know you know how when you look at your um, you look at your, your your Australian plastic banknotes and they've got the little yeah. hologram on yeah, them. Yeah, the window. Yeah, and yeah. and and or or, the, or or your credit card's got the little hologram. Mm-hmm. And so what that is is a, is a very very fine a bunch of carefully crafted grooves. Oh. And the spacing of the grooves will determine what colour reflects off it and at what angle. I right? see. Yep. So what these what these uh, butterflies, some of these butterflies have with with the iridescent colour, is um, now have you ever, you know, bogong season and you, you yes. the house fills with moths, right? Yep. And you go and grab one and try to throw it out the window as, as you don't want to kill it, you know, no. unless you unless you're barbecuing them or something. But uh, <laughs> no, I would get them outside. <laughs> but you know how when you do that, you you have a sort of a dust on your yeah, hands. Yeah, the scales. The scales. That's the it. The wing scales. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They've got tiny little wing scales, um, that uh, uh, and they really, the, you know, they really look like fancy. They really look like fancy roof tiles. They, yeah, extremely under the, fancy. Under the scanning under, electron under, microscope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, they're amazing, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, and and the the ones that come off these iridescent butterflies, extraordinarily complex. They, well, you know, a bit like holograms, right? right? They, 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 they're very extremely complicated. What we call diffraction gratings, right? Okay, and um, so so the the that project, I was looking at the optics. And we, we were we were a sort of collaborative team. We had a mathematician, a mathematician, a couple of physicists, a couple of biologists, and um, so I was looking at the optics. I was actually measuring the how the, you know how the light reflects off them. Mm-hmm. The mathematician was calculating from the structure of these things, you know, tr- trying to account for what the, you know those optical measurements that I did. And the biologists were, were looking at the genetics to work out oh. how did this extremely complicated system for making color evolve and why. Wonderful. So but iridescence um, occurs in all sorts of different creatures as well. Oh like, yes, what like about bird wings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, and the of... collars around uh, pigeons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, is, is speaking it... of, oh, sorry, yeah. go on. So I was just going to ask: Is it the same kind of structure? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It, wow. Again, it's again, it, they're very, very complicated diffraction gratings. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, now, what I was going to say is, um, speak, speaking of, of pigeons. Uh, um, yeah, we have this. We have this image of everything in Paris being so much more fashionable and so much more glamorous. Mm. I, I went to Paris once and, and I saw the pigeons, and I'm, and I'm comparing them to ours, and I'm going, "Wow, these pigeons have walked straight off the catwalk." You know, <laughs> 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 were they really fabulous? With they were really fabulous, and ours, ours are just just a little bit more work a day, a little bit more, pra- pra- you know, a bit more practical and you know, a bit more robust. Yeah. Even beetles Could, have it. Yeah, like exactly, insects. beetles. Yeah. Um, um, some spiders, yeah, uh, and I guess it's a it's a signalling thing to other creatures. For well, that's that's mating, the question. Or? That was the contra- that was actually the controversy. The controversy oh. is that some people were had suggested that maybe this was a thermoregulation thing. That oh. by having these things that reflect in a strange way. It, it somehow, if, if they're in a cold climate, it would warm them up a bit, yep. or if they were in a hot climate, it would reflect more light and cool them off a bit. And uh, and I actually did some measurements, and I and what I did was I calculated what's called the solar absorptance, oh, yeah. which is the same number that you use to characterise your, your your solar hot water systems right. on the roof. I use a similar kind of uh, scheme, and I poo-pooed the idea. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it can't be about thermoregulation. Well, at least not not all. The, I I I looked at sixty four species of butterf- of iridescent butterfly, and and I couldn't find any obvious correlation mm-hmm. between between the the climate that they lived in and yeah. and, and their the solar solar absorptance. Um, uh, but but a, a paper has just just came out last year where they again claiming that it's thermoregulation. So I'm gonna have to look at that. Yeah, so closely. interesting. Yeah. I mean, we could just be getting off down the rabbit hole now. But I'm starting up with all these questions about if it's about communication. You know, what about the butterfly eye? How do we know 
that the butterfly eye sees it in this like how does the butterfly eye see those iridescent colors well, good like good question because in fact some of the butterflies you look at them with human eyes and they just kind of look a bit bluey white not yeah. all that not as exciting as some of them you know the yeah. blue blue morphos but at, but apparently their iridescence is in the uv oh. and 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 insects can see in the uv so there you go. So that, that's a way of maybe certain predators not seeing the excitement, but yeah. but the, you know their their partner. But you know, communicating they, they, to a prospective yeah. mate, you exactly, know, secretly exactly. almost. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, all right. So um, I'm getting the sense that uh, I guess your um, tastes are very omnivorous. Oh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, I, I think that's an excellent. Uh, uh, <laughs> I always like to describe myself using pentasyllabic words. And by the way, pentasyllabic, you may have noticed. Is also pentasyllabic. Uh, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so, when it, how did you get into physics to start with? Like, was it something uh, at uni or school? I don't know, probably or? from the age of two. Wow. Uh, <laughs> now, my mother, my, I asked my mother once, when did you know I was going to be a scientist? She said, well, you know, from pretty much from two onwards. Uh, Conducting experiments at home. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I turned, I did, at uh, w- one point, my dream bedroom, we, we moved into a new house and I finally got my own bedroom and so it became the lab. Well, it became, it became, yeah, it became my laboratory and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and my studio, you know, yeah. so alongside my, my nuts and bolts and my, my big car battery running the telephone system I'd set up, there was, there was also the paints. This is exactly how I'm picturing it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so, 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 so I, I have a, I've got, I've got a, a Pet hypothesis. Now, all children are little scientists because I've got a hell of a lot to learn about the outside world. So they're experimenting all the time, you know, picking up things, dropping them, pouring water in and out. Putting stuff in your mouth. Putting stuff in your mouth. Yeah. So they, they really are. Poking with a stick. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And, um, and, and I think that scientists are people who never grow out of that. I think that's what's going on. Well, everybody else become interested in... Uh, you know, more, you know, the, the um, stocks and bonds. <laughs> well, no, I was thinking before then, before then, but you know, they start getting interested in, 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 um, uh, gossip and, and right. celebrities and distracted, distracted. And the, the scientists are the people who just kept thinking about the outside world or they're in, you know, they're in a world as well. Because yes. to be a scientist, you've got to, you've got to have a strong inner world as well because you're, you're trying to nut out. Things, whether you know, either theoretically or ha- ha- ways of. I, I absolutely okay. agree with you. I think some of the the best scientific questions come from a childlike place of wonder. You bet, right? You uh, bet. Why does that happen? And I think as adults, it really gets beaten out of us to sort of a- admit that we don't know stuff. Yeah. Oh, I did that. yes, and 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 anybody who's 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 got a child or a or or a, or a niece or whatever is going to have experienced that that. Uh, a continuous string of why questions. Why? Yeah, why? Why? Now, and the thing is that, that uh, now most most uh, people will, most adults will just eventually say, oh, that's just the way it is, and shut up. And no, 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 no. no. <laughs> no, no. I just kept answering the why questions. I just got deeper and deeper and more and more abstruse until <laughs> until my daughter got tired, tired of the game, and, and, and I won. And that's how you win. <laughs> And is that how is that your approach to teaching as well? Is this because um, I wanted to ask you about the units that you teach here? Oh yeah, yeah. And tell me a bit, little bit about those. Maybe you could sort of advertise those to prospective okay, students. Okay, well, yeah. well, because we're because we're talking about science fiction, I'll start off with 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 the the, the two units that probably butt up most closely mm-hmm. t- to that, and and that's uh, um, astronomy two two one and and physics two oh eight. Now, astronomy two two one is what it says on the label. FIS 208 is a, a unit called um, Topics in Advanced Physical Sciences. Uh, but at the moment, um, we only offer two topics, and one of them is astrophysics and the other one is fluid physics. Right. And uh, this this year, uh, we haven't had any takers this year for fluid physics, so everybody's doing the astro stuff. So, so Astronomy 221 and, and uh, Physics 208 share about 50% of their syllabus, uh-huh. so so what what uh, what they share is we talk about uh, firstly the basics of astronomy, how, how, how the sky is divided up, how to, how you specify points 
in, in, in the celestial sphere and so on using uh, using um, the, the celestial coordinates uh, then how, how things you know how the, how the, um, uh, the celestial objects move so how the how the moon orbits around the earth why you get eclipses all that right. sort of stuff and and then how how the uh, the, how stars, including our sun, form and how they form a solar system around them. Mm-hmm. So that, that you, you learn all that. You learn about what comets are, what, what uh, asteroids are, you know, the different kinds of planets, the gassy planets like Jupiter oh. and the rocky planets like yes. Earth and so on. Um, and, then, and then we go further out. Okay. Galaxies, you know, the big whirlpools of, of hundreds of, or, 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 you know, hundreds of billions of stars, you know, that that's... So we learn all that, but also we and, and also we learn cosmology. So mm-hmm. that's how the whole universe works, oh starting goodness. with the Big Bang. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and with, with 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 the future, what's going to happen? Right now, up until the late nineties, it was really quite controversial. We still weren't sure if um, what would, if there was enough matter in the universe and matter wherever there's matter, there's gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we still weren't sure if there was enough matter that. That eventually, that, now we, you know, by now everybody knows that the universe is expanding, mm-hmm. right after, yep. after the Big Bang. But the question was, um, is there enough matter so that there's enough gravity so that eventually it'll stop, and right. then crash down and, and give a big crunch, or will it just keep expanding forever, or right. will it sit right on the boundary between the two? Well, it eventually will stop, but it'll take an infinite time to stop. Oh my That's goodness! The crit- right, but oh yeah, go oh, on. No, I was going to say some of these scientific questions start to border on the philosophical or, or metaphysical sometimes. well in fact Is in that... fact uh, uh, yes in and, and in fact sometimes in cosmology they borrow words from theology right. they're, they're a little bit cheekily yeah okay <laughs> yeah tongue in cheek <laughs> yeah ah. but but nonetheless there's still the big questions about how things are going to end up but uh, in the late 90s the the vice chancellor of ANU Brian Schmidt and two other people, there was a, a Perlmutter and, um, oh, I forget the third, third guy's name, will come to me in a minute. But what they discovered was the expansion is not slowing down. Oh. This is completely unexpected that it's actually accelerating. This ring, rings a bell, actually. This, well, I'm sure this was you've a heard very, of You've yeah. heard of dark energy. Yeah. Right, so dark energy is what's postulated to be driving the acceleration. That was completely unexpected. And so, what does that mean? What's we don't know what that what that means? Like, it's just going to go on forever? Well, what it, what it means is that 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 we're not going to get a big probably un, unless we're wrong about what's causing acceleration. Uh huh. But the the current the currently accepted theory about what's causing this acceleration is is what um, what Einstein called the cosmological constant. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec. But just we'll get back to that. Um, but what so what what. Uh, what happens is that if the expansion is accelerating, what it means is, unfortunately, it means that the universe will not end with a bang or even a whimper. It'll just sort of fizzle out. Right, okay. <laughs> as it just expands and expands and expands and many, 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 many billions and billions upon billions of years in the future, um, you'll get to the point where one day, if there are any sentient beings then, they'll look up into the sky and they'll see nothing. Right. Because everything... All the objects will be too far away. To, oh my goodness! Yeah. So, so that's. Um, I can't. It's so hard to even imagine those kinds of things. Like, yeah, but is that something that you do on a daily basis? Thinking about those kinds of huge concepts and when, what when, ifs. When, and, when, I, when I'm not trying to sort out timetabling for the next trimester, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, um, okay. So, so that's that's dark energy, mm. um, and as a so. At the moment, the, the, the generally accepted theory is something that Einstein called the cosmological constant. Now, what, where does that come from? Uh, when Einstein came up with his general theory of relativity, this was there was special relativity where you're only considering objects that are moving at constant velocities or constant speeds. Or, and uh, But then, then uh, some years after that, it came up with general relativity, which included all this bending of space-time that explains gravity. Okay. Now, in that theory, at the time, scientists were convinced because they didn't like the theological implications of a beginning, uh-huh. right? Um, they were convinced that the universe had been had had existed eternally and would exist eternally in in a more or less stable state. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the problem was that Einstein's theory, it was pointed out to him by three theoreticians, including a, um, a Jesuit priest called Le Maître, a Belgian, <laughs> a Belgian a Catholic priest, um, that Einstein's own equations implied that the universe could not be stable, it, 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 it could not be stationary. Mm-hmm. It had to be either expanding or contracting. Okay. And we now know that it's expanding, but at the time it wasn't known. So that they they came up with the idea of the big crunch as the the opposite of the big bang. Is that what? Uh, that, no, no. no that, well, at that stage, no. At that stage, um, it had to be expanding or contracting. So then that that question arose: Is it going to expand forever, uh-huh. or is it going to get a big crunch? Because and that'll depend on how much mass there is. In that stage, nobody really knew. Oh, okay, right. right. But, Too but early. the point is, it couldn't be stationary, mm-hmm. right? Um, so Einstein thought, he said of Lemaitre, he said, he said your, your mathematics is excellent, but your physics is abominable. <laughs> and he only said that because it violated his philosophical convictions about how the universe should be. Right. right? It t- but then a couple of years later, um, Hubble went and looked at distant galaxies and using the sh- using the redshift, the shifts uh-huh. in in their spectral lines, concluded that things have, that on the average, the galaxies are flying apart, uh. and that the further out you go, the more they're flying apart. Which means that the everything in the universe is basically expanding. Wow! And so, does that mean that things are speeding up towards the edges? Is that what that implied? Or no, no, no. There's no speeding up at that oh. stage. That no, no. You have to wait till the late nineties and, and, and Brian <laughs> I'm Schmidt. <ahead> of <laughs> Yeah. So okay. So 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 what Einstein did he wanted a stable universe that that could exist forever. So what he right. did was he he took his equations for general relativity that described gravity, and there was an adjustable parameter in there, which he had to to keep it simple. He had set it to zero in, okay. initially, but in that form, then Lemaitre said that the um, that it was either expanding or contracting. So he said, okay, maybe that. Cosmological constants not zero. Ah, maybe. There it is. And 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 so if you make it non-zero, it gives you a slight repulsion. It's just a very slight oh. repulsion, so small that when you you know you measure things falling towards the Earth or or, or you measure the the orbits of things around the Sun, you don't see that slight repulsive turn. Mm-hmm. You know because gravity overwhelms it. But when you've got empty space between galaxies, now. And so there's not enough stuff there for gravity to overwhelm it. Now that very slight repulsion would act. And so what? So so Einstein said he, he picked a value that would make it so that the universe is neither expanding nor contracting, and called and that was and he called that the cosmological constant. Oh wow! Then a couple of years later, when Hubble did his measurements, then Einstein had to admit the metre was right. And that his cosmological constant, he described in his own words, is the biggest blunder of my life. Oh, I see. Right. Then, <laughs> you know, late 1990s, it came back. The, so, so what happened was they, it was realised that this acceleration that we're getting could be explained by a non-zero cosmological constant, this slightly repulsive term in the gravity equations. Mm. But not the number that Einstein Suggested because he was trying to pick one that made the universe stay uh, static, which right. it isn't. Right. right. But just enough to explain this slight acceleration that was observed in these data. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so if that theory is correct, then I'm afraid that the future of the universe is just is a, a bit like um, just yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yes yeah, yeah, that's that's, a, that's probably the most accurate description. Really. <laughs> The single-syllable description I can think of. Um, and just from your um, talking just now, it yeah. kind of, I wanted to ask about the kind of this must be a huge advance in technologies um, able to collect data about the universe. I mean, oh. I'm talking about Einstein and people at you know his in his era or prior collecting data with whatever they had available surely we can do so much better than oh we are now. we are and 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 just on the, on that issue of einstein of course one one of the things that he predicted uh in his general theory of relativity you know because because space bends when you put matter in it but it it's a bit like 
uh, you know, like a, the, the, the drum skin, you know, if, if, you, if you press on it, and you, and you know if you, if you you hit it mm. it bounces back yeah so right. so so his equations predicted that space space time would bounce back like like a drum skin so so that you could make gravitational waves so he predicted gravitational waves and they were detected about a hundred years later my goodness but, and and, it weighed, <laughs> and Einstein was convinced that we would probably never see them because he said we couldn't possibly do measurements that sensitive because they're so tight, you know, the, the effect would be so tiny, but we did it. So is it just about these days um, proving or disproving some of the theories of these very early workers or are we actually discovering like and making brand new predictions and proving, well, disproving them? Well, the brand new prediction, if you like, was the, the discovery of the, uh, the acceleration. Yep. Of the of the Hubble expansion of the universe, so that was that was brand new. But but we relied on old old theory to explain it. Mind you, that might not be how it works. There is a there's a rival theory um, called quintessence, My and goodness. the word quintessence that just means the fifth element. Okay, that's what quintessence. Okay. <laughs> but you remember how there was earth, air, fire, and water, right? And then there was quintessence, right, okay. which was which was spirit or mind, right? Okay, so. <laughs> So all of you fans of, of of the movie The Fifth Element, I must admit I haven't seen it. Uh, it's a great movie. That's oh my god. So if quintessence theory is is correct, then there's there's another possibility. Okay, and and uh, and um, rather than the big crunch, which we now are pretty sure isn't going to happen, uh, if Einstein was right, um, or, or or the great I don't know the great. Um, I don't know the great yawn. I, I, I don't know the fact everything just <laughs> flat. Yeah, the great. Yeah, I'm going to call it the great yawn. Okay. Uh, when, when you look up in the sky and, and it's just basically black. Um, That's it. That's but, the end. But in um, in quintessence theory, see, in in the case of, of Einstein's uh, cosmological constant, the, that that amount of um, of dark energy, the mm. amount of dark energy per cubic meter of space, never changes. Oh. Right, but. If the other theory is correct about quintessence, the amount of 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 dark energy of this quintessence, mm. uh, it can actually vary. You could get more, per, okay. right? And if that happens, the repulsion could be so strong that it not only pushes galaxies apart, that it actually um, could actually rip entire atoms to pieces. Oh, so that. Everything in the universe, if if that to everything, it sounds very just, violent. It's very it's violent. Like the just complete opposite of the great it. yawn. Exactly, it's not a yawn. It's it's I don't know the great bath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that yeah, what that, a way to go. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> hang on, what, I'm trying to remember. The, there there is a there is a little cute name for it. Um, uh, the, oh, the great rip. That's right. The big rip. The big rip. The big rip, where everything just gets torn to pieces. Oh. Yeah. So at least it'll be an exciting way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what I prefer. Um, I'd have to think about that for a little bit. <laughs> now, now, for me, the, the way I like to reassure myself is, now, we've heard of parallel universes and you've heard of multiverses. Don't get them confused. Parallel universes is a theory of quantum mechanics that says every time you flip a coin, the universe splits into the heads universe and tells you, you know, the sliding right. doors moment, you sure. know, if you've mm-hmm. ever seen that, that film. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. And I, th- I find that, personally, I find that um, in- interpretation of quantum mechanics uh, a-, a bit silly, but uh, sure. <laughs> I, I could be wrong. Silly things have been right in the past. But the, 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 the one I'm th- talking about is multiverses, mm-hmm. okay? So in, so we, we, we use the word universe to mean, well, this is everything there is. But, it, but if the multiverse theory is that what we see as the universe that formed in the Big Bang is just one bubble on the bottom of the beer glass oh. that is the multiverse. Goodness me. And every little bubble that comes up is another universe and they can't communicate with each other, but they can occasionally collide. Oh. And, and, and so people who, who, who theorise about the multiverse think that if, if two of these bubbles were to collide, there might be... Do you mean like some, collide and mix? Uh, or well, just bump into one another? Well, just bump into one okay, another, right. I, I guess. Um, and and, and so, so what did... See, if... if if you've got a bubble universe where you can't see out of it, then how could you ever prove it, prove it wrong or right? Yeah, exactly. But, but some people theorise that if, if two of these bubble universes do happen to brush up against each other, they might leave some evidence of that. Oh, so, my goodness. But, but I, I would imagine that that would, 
the, the likelihood that they'd ever bump into each other is so tiny that, yeah. that if, it, if, if it is in principle possible to see the evidence, it might how never happen. How would know how to interpret it either? Like, it'd be- oh, well, oh, well, the theoreticians have to work on that, but the question yes. is would it ever happen <laughs> yeah, exactly. in, in anyone's lifetime? For sure. Well, this actually probably is a great segue to the film. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. We have to talk about that at some point. Oh, the film, um, yes. So, yeah, so we're talking about the universe and multiverses and, well, let's talk about aliens. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, obviously the film next week is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Actually, yep. it's the 45-year anniversary. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, um, yes. I, yeah, I, did, I did note that. How uh, good. Yeah, that. Um, and how realistic is the notion of intelligent life somewhere oh, else I personally, there? Oh, I personally think that, uh, well, the... Clearly, life can happen. You know, mm-hmm. clearly, physics and chemistry allows for biology to occur. We know it, it's happened at least once. <laughs> um, and, you know, without, without just pulling out large numbers with, with hundreds and hundreds of zeros off, there are a lot of stars in the universe. Right. A very, very large number of stars. Well, uh, you know, um, and... Uh, is and it, so, is it just about getting that like Goldilocks zone, you know, distance from a star? Yeah, on a, yeah. Okay. But what happens is that in the last twenty years, uh, we've we've now we're now routinely able to detect planets outside of our solar system, right? And so now, and and the 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 data seem to suggest that pretty much every star, or every double star, or triple star, whatever, every every stellar system has planets in it. Now mm-hmm. we we. we up until 20 years ago, we didn't know was how, how rare it was to have a planetary system. Sure. We now know that... Like we thought we were really, really special, maybe. Well, we might be. The thought we yeah. might be special. Okay. We didn't know how special. Now we realise, nah, just another... Probably not that special. Not that special. <laughs> and and so, that, so if you've got that many stars and every single one of them has planets... The chances are there will be some in the Goldilocks, Goldilocks zone. By the way, in case you're wondering what the Goldilocks zone, that's where your, your planet is in such an orbit that the temperature is within reasonable range that it would allow biology to occur. Sure. And and for those of you who uh, aren't familiar with the Goldilocks myth, that was the little girl that uh, that basically pinched pinched the the um, the porridge of the the yes. three bears, and she 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 went for the the bowl that was just right, not yeah, too hot, not, not too, too cold, hot, not too cold. That's it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, uh, so you think probably yes. I, so, I, I I think almost certainly yes right. that, that there's life. Okay, is there intelligent life? Look, that's another question th- entirely, isn't it? I guess it, it's, it's how you kind no, of. No, look, I don't think it's entirely different. Okay, I think it, it's 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 less. It it's, it t- takes a long a lot more time to go from biology to intelligent intelligent technological life, but um, no, I, I'm I'm. I feel almost as certain that there is intelligent life out there. The difference is this, though: the distances are huge. Right. It takes a long time to get intelligent life from life. Okay, <laughs> the, the Earth is about four and a half billion years old. Mm-hmm. We basically had the beginnings of life something like a billion years into that. Yeah, and then it took, <laughs> yeah. you know, it took the, a few more billion a few years more bi- before we yeah. got you got. You know, it's something that we describe as recognisable intelligence. <laughs> so, so that the, the the proportion the proportion of those planets that have life that will have intelligent life is going to be a lot smaller, mm-hmm. simply because it takes a long time. Yeah. And and the thing is, you need you also need a um, star that is around long enough. Yeah. We, we've got a it's like a, the stability a required. G a G type star, uh-huh. which which and and that meant that it's it's got a lifetime of something like ten billion years. We're about halfway through it now. Wow. Whereas if we were um, orbiting a star, you know, like Sirius, a you know, big hot blue star. They 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 last for a much shorter period of time. The hotter the star, the they live um, fast, die young. Die sort of young, thing. oh yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So 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 you've got to have a star that is is long enough lived to to give time for you're in the Goldilocks zone, but the Goldilocks zone has got to be there long enough, right, to allow that to happen. Right, yeah. there's a lot of ingredients and yeah. the planets must align, I guess, for uh, all this Okay, stuff to I'm interest, yeah, that, okay, yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll run with that analogy. Uh, but uh, so, so um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite confident. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm almost as certain, almost as certain at, that, that, uh, that there's intelligent life out there. But the, the problem is, uh, you know, thing, uh, 
what the movie postulates is that yeah. that they have sufficiently advanced technology that and they, can they, they make a visit to make a visit. Yeah, and now that's a totally different question. Right. Um, uh, now there is actually there is actually something called the Drake equation. There was a, Frank Drake was one of the pioneers of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial mm-hmm. intelligence, and he came up with the thing which we now call the Drake equation, which is basically it, you know it's it's a it was it's a very crude way of identifying what the issues are in de- when deciding on questions like what's the likely number right. of intelligences within communicable distance. And so he just had a bunch of things, that he, of numbers, probabilities that he multiplied together. So the rate at which stars form, uh, the likelihood that they have planets, habitable planets around them, all these different numbers. Now, because of the last right, 40 okay. years, the advances in, in, in observation, we now know a lot more about those... The little the, variables that go into that Yeah, the astronomical that, variables, uh-huh. you yeah, know, the yeah. astrophysical variables, things yeah. like star, rates of star formation, how many planets there are per star yep. and and what the temperatures are likely to be and so on. We've got a reasonably good handle on that. But uh, Sorry, are the, all the discoveries that we're making increasing those numbers and making it more likely? That uh, so, yes, that, no, they are. Well, that, as I was saying, we now know that pretty much every stellar system has planets, whereas yeah. we didn't know that 40 <laughs> years ago. It was yep. a guess. Now we, because we now have, have um, satellites that are continuously looking for planets, we now have a lot of data on that. And we're at the point now where we're, almost, where we're able to just start to be able to see what in some cases, what the atmosphere of some oh, of those wow. planets are. So we can say, you know, is there life-supporting atmospheres? Because what what happens if a planet passes in front of the, the star? You, you can, it's now possible just to oh. to get a, a, the tiny little signal of the light. You know, you know when you... Oh, passing you know, through the atmosphere. Like, you know, like when you get a, a, um, a lunar eclipse. Yeah. And it blocks the sun. Yeah. Now, now the moon doesn't have an atmosphere, so you don't, you don't see anything. But when mm-hmm. there's a lunar eclipse where the Earth passes in front of the sun and casts a shadow on the moon, what does it look like? Do you, do you, what no, is it? I don't know. Red. Oh, like red. red one. Right. Oh, and from that moon. redness, you could, that redness coming from our atmosphere. Oh, because the, that's because, very cool. Yeah, because mm. because it, it's red for the same reason the sunset is red. Oh, is it like a refraction through? It's not refraction. I mean, oh. there is refraction, but that's not what causes the colour change. Oh, wow. It's scattering. Oh. What happens is that red light doesn't scatter as much as blue light. So when you've got when you've got light passing through a thick atmosphere, the blue is scattered everywhere. Oh, I see. So the sky okay. looks blue, right. but the direct light looks reddish. Oh. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. So, okay, so we're now getting we're getting to the point where our, our measurements are, are now just able to start to begin to see get clues about the atmosphere of some of these things. So, mm-hmm. so we got all this new information that we didn't have, mm-hmm. in, yeah. you know, in the, in the early '60s with Frank Drake, but but there's still some big speculative unknowns in the Drake equation. Things like um, how long is it is is a typical technological civilization last before it either kills itself off yeah. or you know the sun turns red giant and and, and kills off the, the civilization before it has a chance to travel to another planet those those things are uh they're they're that's completely unknown yes that's they're right. completely speculative and and the so so and those are the things that will determine what the overlap time is between distant yes. civilizations and, and the possibility of them reaching one another, or, or at or, least communicating. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I look. I am moderately confident. There's some some point in the future. I don't know if there'll there'll even be humans on this planet by that time. We'll have evolved <laughs> into something else. Keep in mind, we've only been here. You know, the the, the genus Homo has only been around for a couple of million years. We're yeah. we're, we're young, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you know, maybe if Earth ever managed to communicate. With some other civilization, it might not be humans. It might be whatever something we evolved else. into, or we may have died off and something else. Octopus. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> they, they managed to work out how to climb onto the <laughs> yeah. onto the surface of the earth and start manipulating objects. I, I, I don't know. So, uh, so that's the big unknown. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm I'm reasonably confident at some point we will detect an unmistakable signal of mm. civilization. Now the question is. Will we ever be able to cross those vast distances? 
And the way physics looks now, almost certainly not. Mm-hmm. Because there's, a, the, there's the ultimate speed limit, which is the speed of light. You right. can't go faster the speed of light. You can't even travel at the speed of light because you need an infinite amount of energy to get to the speed of light. Okay. You don't ever get closer and closer to it. So in order to... So the nice thing is if you're travelling close to the speed of light, then the people at your destination, their clocks in your... your uh, uh, um, but when you land there, they will have aged and, and, you, and your trip will have seemed a lot shorter than they thought your trip took. Right. right. But the problem is uh, to, to, to get up there, you need enormous amounts of energy. Right. And we can't just create energy out of nowhere. You've got to find it. Oh. So that, but that is a great trope in science fiction that you can jump in a... Oh, I know. It's great. And then you don't age and like everyone else ages and you come back and forward. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah the yeah. problem is if you, you, it's a one-way trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that always sounds like an exciting adventure right. when you're, you know, when when you're young and and and, uh, yeah, and you're for adventure. Yeah. And then, then when it comes comes to your own retirement, you think there's no one to wipe my bum. <laughs> There's the big questions. The big <laughs> questions. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, actually, I haven't seen Close Encounters. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No. So I'm really looking forward to it next week. Um, but I was sort of wanting to talk about the theme of, uh, well, aliens as a trope in science fiction yeah, and yeah. whether it can be like a metaphor or an allegory for other things. Because it's, Oh, of it's, course, of it, course. Yeah, and it, yeah. it comes up every decade in yeah. a different sort of guise, you know. Yeah. Sometimes they're funny aliens or, or at least harmless, um, uh, like remember Coneheads yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Third Rock from yeah. the Sun I always yeah. really enjoyed. But then there can be really like terrifying ones, like like Alien, um, or, or uh, Mars Attacks. Mar- yeah, that's right. Um, and and so yeah, I just sort of wondered about whether the um, the playing of the the Alien characters like these in these different ways is a reflection on society. Oh, or, of course it yeah. is. So all, every trope in in all movies is, yeah, a, is, yeah. so is a reflection about, so on what you know, our fears I, and our, our, our. So what's happening in Close Encounters? I kind of did a bit of research, and it was made sort of during the Cold War. Is that a is that um, well? Uh, part of okay, it? I'm, I'm I'm going to avoid spoilers in case anyone yeah. hasn't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I will say though. I personally had misgivings about the film when I first saw it, right, but okay. but, but we, we can talk about that later if if you know this time. <laughs> um, it was it was made in, during the um, the Cold War, but it was it was very optimistic. Right, that's what I read that about the it. The aliens were friendly. Positive. Yeah, they even we even you know played played jammed we jammed with them on on big <laughs> big big organs, you know. <laughs> So um, and and they were nice, and all the people that disappeared all came back. You right? Know? Yeah, yeah. So they, it wasn't like an allegory for the Russians, you know, and taking us over. And well, one like one that. thing one thing about it was that they, unlike so many other sci-fi, you know, American sci-fi films where it's Americans doing everything, it was a it was a multinational right. team. Yeah, you know, that's the great. director of it was French. Ah, oh, fab. Yeah, Francois Truffaut, the 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 famous French film director, actually played. Played the director of the oh, of, 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 yeah of the team. So it's not like um, Independence Day, um, where you know America saves the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, that's like, it. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it, 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 it's not. It doesn't have that. Yeah, that that kind of patriotism that works really great if you happen to be an American audience. But if you're from any other country, you like, hmm. you kind of think, yeah, okay, all right. Cool. So you guys saved the world again, did you? Okay. Um, yeah. No, it's it's very different. It's it's very optimistic. But but in in some ways, I found I found it. I found it a bit creepy too, mm. because um, because in order to collect people mm. f- as specimens, if you like, right, they use mind control, mm. and that's creepy. Yeah, that is really creepy. You know, it, it, it's like asking for the con- you know you you want some experimental subjects, and just before you ask them to sign the consent form, you you give them mm. a drug just to make them a bit more pliable, maybe. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, yeah, a, a bit of oxytocin or mm-hmm. something, you mm-hmm. know, more I, compliant, a bit yeah. more compliant. So, so I think, yeah, I found that aspect just a bit creepy. But I think that although, I don't know, if, I don't know if that creepiness was intentional though. But anyway, go on. The, um, but the the thing about aliens, I guess, because uh, no one's ever proven anything about them, you can make them into anything that you like. They can be as creepy oh. or as hilarious yeah, 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 or yeah, ridiculous yeah. as yeah. you want, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so I guess they can be kind of like a vehicle for any kind of 
terror or, or yeah 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 or that's whatever. It. and you can do it without without casting any racist aspersions on anyone in particular yeah, possible is, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> although there was that, that debacle with uh, one of the Star Wars films who was the uh, oh. that, that character that, with the ears yeah yeah the yeah, yeah. Jar Jar Binks yeah Jar Jar, Jar Jar Binks that's right yeah yeah that was that, yeah. yeah some people saw that as a as, Oh, I, I, I don't know if that the, I don't know if that was intentional, but that that's the way people saw it. I see. As a okay. Bit of, a bit of a, a, a racial. You can trope. read into it, I yeah, suppose, yeah. in all sorts of ways. Um, um, so, well, I think we're probably getting close to time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do want to say one thing. I do yeah, want to say please, one thing. Please. There, there is a scene. There is a scene towards the end of the film where you see there's a whole bunch of aliens of all different shapes and sizes, which is sort of meant to be. You know, we're all one people, even though we're yeah. all different. But but there is a there is a very tall, lanky alien. L- looks like a you know sort of with the the proportions of a giant praying mantis. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which was actually a, a puppet. It was a pu- puppeteer. Uh, you know, it was a marionette. Um, uh, even Galileo knew that something with those proportions wouldn't have been able to stand up Couldn't and walk work. around. Yeah. Ah. It's called the square cube law. The Gal- Galileo came up with it. What he he did he, he said that the 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 mass and hence the weight yep. of anything is proportional to the cube of the dimension. Okay. Okay? Because the volume is something cubed. Right. But the strength, which is determined by the thickness of your legs mm-hmm. or, you know, your spinal cord or whatever, is based on the, the, the cross-sectional area, which is the square of the dimensions. So if you take an ant mm-hmm. and then oh. you, ex- you scale it up to the size of an elephant... It would just collapse. It's not going to work. Yeah, it couldn't breathe. It wouldn't be able to support its own weight. Stand, so, move. so even Galileo would have would have balked at seeing mm. the, this giant, tall alien with those proportions and said, "No, sorry." Would, that sounds like a good chat to have at the cinema. I we'll, think so. Uh, maybe I'll plan a question in the audience <laughs> for that one. Um, but yeah, I guess just um, closing up about the close encounters thing. I really liked the. Um, the, the idea that there could be positive messages, you know, when it oh, comes yeah, to yeah, definitely alien was. life forms and, yeah. you know, peace on earth and in the universe and, and things yeah, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was, as I say, that was part of the message behind having all these aliens that all were all different sizes yeah. and shapes and colours or whatever, that we're all, you know, that we're all together in this. Yeah. yeah. And last question. Yep. All right, tell me about your fate. I'm sure that you would have a great collection of sci-fi at yeah. home. Um, what's your favourite sci-fi book, movie, I, anything? Okay, so that it, look, it's it, it, it's it's like trying to pick your, your favourite. I've got a pen up your, now, so I'm going to take kid. some notes. Oh, okay, your favourite <laughs> okay. kid. But but okay, look, I've 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 picked out three for special mention. They're, they're oldies. Yep. Okay, so so one of them is Twelve Monkeys. Oh yeah, cool. Which is it? Not only is it it's great science fiction, but but just the the pure art of it is just yeah, great. beautiful. I mean, uh, Terry Gilliam. Really is 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 a oh, film. I'd forgotten that was Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In case in case you're wondering, Terry Gilliam was one of the uh, the Monty Python people, yeah. and he was the one that directed all the films. Yeah. Um, yeah. That Twelve Monkeys just fantastic, and 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 it was great to see. Um, to, to see to see. Uh, Who was it? Who- is it Brad Pitt or Bruce Willis? Yeah, both of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so it was great to see Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt <laughs> acting, actually doing some, you know, not just playing their usual parts, right. playing somebody different. Actually, I discovered later that Brad Pitt was actually channeling, um, was channeling uh, Dennis Hopper in, uh, <gasps> in like Apocalypse Now. In Apocalypse like, Now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch, uh, watch both of them, and you'll see. <laughs> that's that's where Brad Pitt got his shtick from. <laughs> Uh, but it was great to see them act, doing playing parts that were different from yeah, cool. from their usual. Okay. Um, okay. Another one is um, the original time machine, the sixties time machine. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, 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 is it called the time machine? Uh, is it the time machine? Time. I think it was the time machine. That one. And in those days, the special effects weren't as spectacular. So what you do when you watch an old film, you just got to remind yourself they didn't have computer graphics then, right. and then you just marvel sort at what go on the journey with them. Yeah, and you and you marvel at how they managed to do that with traditional. So clever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, computer graphics are great, but if you can do all that without them, yeah. then that, that that that's like you know walking the 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 high wire without a safety net. Yeah, you know? I mean, surely Close Encounters kind of fit, fits in that category. Uh, it yes, would have been like Close Encounters was right on the boundary yep. between old old stock 
special effects and computer graphics. It was just starting, they were just starting to come in. Yep, cool. When close, close in, yeah. I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know how much of that was done on computer. Probably very little. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. Number, and, oh. I was going to say number three. Number three. Hang on, hang on. Oh, um. <laughs> I, I did like I did did love Alien. I must say. Oh, that is yeah, one of yeah, my favourites. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Was just fantastic. Not just as sci-fi, but as 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 as. It's like a visual sort of art form. Kind yeah, of yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. You know, everything about it was great, yeah. and it was all done on a relatively small budget. But no, there was oh, the third one that I wanted to bring up was Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. Oh, I loved it, <laughs> and it was it was it was so it was true to the to the original um, book. I've I've read the book actually. Which yeah. one did you read the Mary Shelley? The, yeah, yeah, but the but but the first the one she wrote, which oh. was eighteen, or the revision. I so, actually have no idea. Yeah, because <laughs> I I've read I've read the the, the revision that she did in uh, like eighteen thirty something. And so, what's different about it? I haven't read the first one, oh. the, 18, the eighteen eighteen one, yeah, or whatever right. it was. The one she well, the one she wrote when she was eighteen, anyway, that okay. very very first one. I haven't read it yet. I've got it. Yeah. And I want to compare the two. I have heard people say that when when she was eighteen, she was in with a bunch. She was young and the future, and yeah. she was with a bunch of people who you know scientists and doctors and whatever. And so she had this great enthusiasm for the new discoveries of science. Uh. But then by the time she did the revision, she'd now fallen in with more traditional sort of Christian type people. And they had they had a different moral opinion oh. about all these experiments in medicine and science, and so some people claim that the that the new edition was a little bit more moralistic. But I I've, I can't until I read the first one. Yeah, I won't be able to judge for myself if I agree with that. Super opinion. interesting. I didn't even know that there were two versions. Yeah. All yeah. right, I'll have to go and do some homework too. Yeah. I, I just, as soon as as soon as um I'm, I've got a, a spot. When I'm not busy, yeah, I never. I will. I will read the. I'll have to read both of them again. Yeah. yeah, one after the other, side by side. Yeah, <laughs> cool. All right. Yep. Well, I'll wrap it up there. Okay. Thank you so much for that chat, and we'll see you next Thursday at the cinema. Okay. I'll, I'll be all ready for that. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.